Well, hello, everyone, um, and welcome to another Amos IFPRI webinar, um, part of our uh, year-long series. Uh, we're ending the year with one on the global oil sea complex. Uh, my name is Joe Glauber. I'm a research fellow, a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute and acting secretary for AMOS, the Agricultural Market Information System. A lot been going on in, in global oil, uh, soybean markets. Um, we've seen prices fall considerably from last year's record high, much like we saw across uh, other um, uh, staples like corn and wheat. Um, soybean production is likely to hit a record high in 23-24 with global ending stocks projected to rebuild for the second consecutive year. If you look at phenomena like El Nino, we've talked a lot in the last webinar about the impact on rice production. Here's a case where there could be some adverse impacts on things like palm oil production, but by um, the, the flip side of that is generally favorable uh, conditions in, a, in parts of, of, of South America where, of course, a big soybean producing region. And we'll hear more about all of that uh, in our presentation. You know, the, in terms of global Soybean trade that continues to be driven by um, China. Uh, China accounts for about 60% of global soybean uh, imports. Um, domestic, China's domestic consumption has grown about 4% over the last 10 years. Uh, so they've been a huge driver. Um, in the US, we see increased biodiesel production, which has diverted more soybean production to be crushed domestically for soybean oil, uh, thus reducing soybean exports. And as a result, Brazil and other suppliers have seen their market shares grow. In 23-24, Brazil is projected, uh, at least with USDA's numbers, to account for almost 58% of total soybean exports. We have a new government in Argentina. Um, uh, so questions on what will, uh, if, what, if any impacts will that mean for uh, Argentine policies and production? And then uh, the continuing war in, in Ukraine certainly has diverted sunflower oil exports to exports of sunflower seed um, to crushers in Bulgaria and elsewhere. And so we've seen a transformation of, of regional patterns. Uh, sunflower oil, uh, Ukraine's a very large producer of that, uh, at least prior to the war, about 50% of the market. And we're um, and in, in terms of the global, uh, global vegetable oil market, they're, they're about 15% or so, so quite significant. We have a great panel. Um, I'm really pleased Dee Yang, who's an economist at FAO and serves as Amos's oil seed analyst is able to join us. Um, we've been wanting to have Dee on for, for a long time. Uh, and so today's his day. Uh, we also have Joanna Hitchner, who's the chair of the Inter Interagency Commodity Estimates Committee. Uh, the so-called ICEC. Uh, she's the the chair for the oil seeds subcommittee uh, with the World Agricultural Outlook Board at, at uh, U.S. Department of Agriculture. Uh, those two will be joined by Darren Cooper, who's the senior gra uh, grains and oilseed economist um, and a commodity analyst for the International Grains Council. And the lastly, but certainly not least, is uh, Ramiro Costa, who's the chief economist at the Buenos Aires Grains Exchange. Uh, I've given each of these uh, people 12 minutes to present, and then we're going to follow that with a discussion led by uh, Seth Meyer, who's uh, most of you know is USDA's chief economist and currently uh, the chair of Amos. And so that I'm with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dee. Dee, you're on. Oh, 
Sorry, I just <laughs> forgot to unmute myself. Thank you, Joe, for the introduction. And uh, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are. So I understand that today we have actually a very packed uh, program. So without further ado, I would like to just uh, give you some updates of the soybean market from a global perspective. So next slide, please. So this first slide shows uh, uh, some of the latest devel development in the international soybean prices. So the chart on the left uh, is the IGC soybean spot price index. As you can see, the following several months of consecutive declines in early 2023, amid the record harvest in the previous season in Brazil, the price index rebounded in June 2023, mainly underpinned by uh, basically unfavorable weather conditions in major growing regions in the U.S., and more importantly, by the uh, much lower than expected plantings in the U.S., as revealed by the acreage report by the USDA. And this is actually on top of persistent robust uh, domestic demand for soil oil in the U.S. from the biodiesel sector. On the other hand, uh, somewhat sluggish global import demand, particularly from China, coupled with uh, prospects of ample supplies from the Southern Hemisphere, namely forecasts of another record-breaking uh, harvest in Brazil, and also recovering output in Argentina in the 23-24 season, put some downward pressure on the market, and therefore resulting in uh, lower international soybean prices in the following month until recently, when the excess of hot and dry conditions across major green states in Brazil raised some concerns over its crop outlook. The chart on the right-hand side shows the CBOT March futures contract. As you can see, the March 2024 contract basically displays a similar trend with the spot price index, but the price levels in recent months are higher than uh, what we observed in June, indicating that the market does put some risk premiums over the crop prospects in South America. Which brings me to the next slide. So in terms of fundamentals, this slide shows the global soybean production uh, in 23-24 uh, season. So in the chart, in the table to the left, you can see that uh, the basically now the main, most of the, the production recovery in 23-24 will hinge on the uh, largely Xinjiang, South America. Just as I mentioned, in Argentina, a production recovery would be chiefly yield-driven, supported by favorable weather conditions to date. But in the case of Brazil, the outlook is a bit problematic. While plantings are expected to continue uh, expanding, the yield levels are subject to uncertainties. Basically, protracted drought conditions in the central west and the northern regions, especially in Mato Grosso state, posed uh, considerable risks over the country's output. While there were some uh, sporadic rainfalls in recent weeks, the short-term weather forecasts remain somewhat uh, worrisome. As shown in the seven-day precipitation anomaly to the right, which uh, I just grabbed uh, from yesterday, the rainfalls across many uh, soybean-growing regions in Brazil are still anticipated to remain below the average level. Let's also have a quick look at the uh, northern hemisphere where planting, uh, where harvesting operations just concluded. So production in the U.S. could fall by 3% year on year, according to the official Wadley report, while outputs from India is also expected to decline, reflecting below average uh, monsoon rainfalls. By contrast, production in China is seen expanding steadily amid the uh, supportive policy measures. 
But before moving to consumption, it's worth mentioning that uh, despite the uncertain outlook in the southern hemisphere, the global production picture is still largely favorable. At uh, 395 million tons, as we uh, projected as of uh, today, it's more than 20, uh, 20 million uh, tons higher than the previous record highs, leaving quite some rooms for the uh, downside risks. Next slide. So moving to utilization, after uh, two years of uh, stagnation, we expect uh, global soybean consumption to recover in 23-24 season, up about 6% uh, year on year, as you can see from the chart on the left. The anticipated growth primarily concentrates in South American countries to meet increasing crush demand for uh, the direct products, namely soil meal and soil oil, for both domestic markets and uh, exports. Uh, in particular, for soil oil, the expected expansion also hinges on the uh, prospects of rising biodiesel production. And this is actually also the case for the U.S., where rising demand for soil oil as a major feedstock to the biodiesel sector is one of the main drivers for soybean crush in the country. As for China, utilization is expected to expand, although at a below average rate, reflecting lingering subdued domestic crush margins, as well as the country's ongoing efforts to reduce soil meal inclusion ratio in the feed rations. The chart to the right shows the profitability level of hog farms in China. Clearly, both uh, large-scale and uh, backyard farms have been suffering from poor margins during the most of most of times in 2023, and the outlook remains rather uh, subdued, at least uh, in the near future, according to some of the industry experts I spoke with. So this is basically the utilization uh, picture. Next slide, please. So with the global production expected to exceed the consumption, the global carryover stocks in 23-24 are forecast to rebound by nearly 10% year on year. And this is also the, the recovery for the second consecutive year. Well, also the global stocks to use ratio and the major exporters stock to disappearance ratio would also recover, as you can see from the chart to the left. The chart on the right shows the inventory levels of uh, several major stockholders. As you can see, the carryouts in South American countries, namely Brazil and Argentina, are both uh, forecast to accumulate based on the current uh, production forecast, of course. Whereas stocks in China could decline somewhat, uh, releasing the inventories they replenished during the previous season. As for the US, uh, a stock drawdown mostly, most likely reflects the uh, lower production estimates of the year. So overall, given the current uh, picture in the production and the utilization, we do expect that the global stocks for soybeans uh, going to be recovered uh, for the second consecutive year in 23-24 season. Next slide, please. So this chart actually shows the, the global uh, uh, soybean trade for the past few years. And the, as you can see, the global shipments in 23-24 are forecast to fall slightly below the level reached in 22-23 season. And uh, from the import side, uh, the bulk of the reduction would come from Argentina, being actually a major exporter in normal seasons. The country turned into a net importer in 22-23, the previous season, following its uh, crop failure to fulfill its uh, crushing pipelines. 
But for the 23-24 season, we we do not uh, see that uh, such scenario is likely in the, in the current season. And uh, as you can see the, to the chart in the chart to the right, China is also forecast to import less year on year. This is considering below average consumption growth, as I just mentioned, and also the large stock uh, soybean stocks it has accumulated in the previous season. Noticeably, the the market reports indicates that the the country already tried to cover some of uh, to cover some of its demand in the first quarter of 2024 through U.S. supplies. This is actually considering the potential risks in Brazil that I just mentioned. On the other hand, the there are a couple of countries that we do see they will increase their uh, purchase, namely the EU, uh, Egypt, uh, and uh, Vietnam, Thailand, and some other uh, Asian countries. And this is partially thanks to the expected uh, ample uh, avail global availabilities in the 23-24 season. Moving to the next slide. As for the exporters, this slide shows the, the some of the shipments of the, the major uh, uh, soybean exporters. So shipments from Brazil are expected to continue expanding, keeping the country as the world leading soybean exporter. Of course, this is the magnitude of the export still uh, subject to its import outcome, uh, sorry, its uh, production outcome. Well, the exports from the U.S. may decline following a lower production outlook and also subdued export sales. The chart on the right shows the uh, total commitments as of the end of November, which are still uh, lagging behind the pace of the past few years, particularly from China, the bar on, in blue. And uh, this is even after um, a rush of purchasing in early November, as you you probably uh, already know that China they did um, quite some uh, purchase in the early November before the the meeting of the two uh, two presidents. And the situation in Argentina is very tricky at the moment. At the moment, since the new administration just took office, there are quite some uncertainties about agriculture and also export policies, as well as the macroeconomic environment. And the farmers are basically holding their crops as a hedge against all these risks for the time being. And uh, I guess the more details will be entertained by our colleagues uh, later. Moving to the, my last slide. Yes, this is the last slide showing the recap of the global soybean balance. And uh, as I mentioned before, that uh, global production in 23-24 are forecast to, to uh, expand and uh, reaching uh, potentially a record high of 3,095 million tons. And global utilization is also expected to uh, uh, increase, although at a below average rate, and uh, so with this, the global stocks are expected to increase for the second consecutive year in 23-24, while global uh, imp uh, trade in soybeans are expected to uh, decrease somewhat by nearly 2%. This is considering the, the subdued outlook in the major importers and also uh, considering that uh, some of the risks for the major exporters. And before closing, I would like also to mention some of the current uh, risks. Uh, first of all, on the supply side, the crop development in South America, in particular in Brazil, um, but also in Argentina, they are under the impact of the ongoing El Nino cycle. And uh, this is one of the major swing factors for the, uh, to the market for the moment. 
On the demand side, uh, the both uh, protein meal demand from the livestock sector as well as uh, vegetable oil uptake by the uh, biodiesel producers bear watching. And uh, in addition, there are also some risks regarding GMO policies, as some of you might have known that uh, in some of the Asian countries, in particular Pakistan, they have been uh, suffering from low uh, soybean imports, their feed uh, livestock industry. This is due to the, the GMO policies that the government is currently reviewing. And also, I would like to point out that uh, in China, you know, uh, recently, there are some uh, security uh, safety approvals from the government about uh, 14 uh, uh, new GMO varieties. They are uh, still far from commercialization, but uh, there are some progress making in the country trying to, to bring the GMO production and uh, which might increase their production in the, in the long run. So besides, there are some also macroeconomic development risks and also exchange rate movements and some also policy uh, initiatives uh, uh, in terms of trade by individual countries. Those are uh, could all pose some risks to the market. And finally, I would also like to mention that protracted war in the Ukraine might also add additional certainties to, to the market, although not through the soybean market directly, but uh, as um, Joe already mentioned, Ukraine is uh, one of the major uh, sunflower seed producers in, in the world. And uh, due to that, some of the sunflower oil uh, supplies have been disrupted uh, during the past two years, which could uh, have sp uh, spilled over. Uh, effect to the soybean market. So with this, I would like to conclude my uh, presentation and get back to you, Joe. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Dee. Uh, let's move on to Joanna. Thank you, Joe, uh, for having me here. And great presentation, Dee. I'm excited to be here. Um, I'll wait for the PowerPoint to load up. So growth in the renewable diesel industry has been a major story in the United States and has had some big impacts on soybean oil and feedstock trade worldwide. So in this presentation, I will cover the rise in biomass-based diesel in the United States, the changing dynamics of feedstocks used, including soybean oil, and the assumptions that go into forecasting soybean oil for biofuel. So next slide. Thank you. Uh, federal and state mandates, such as California's low carbon fuel standard, have supported the growth in renewable diesel over the past couple of years. And it's important to note that under the federal mandates, the type of feedstock used is not as important. But under California's policies, it provides greater incentives to use uh, feedstocks that are lower carbon intensity, uh, have lower carbon intensity scores like used cooking oil, yellow grease, and tallow over using vegetable oils. And you can see the market for renewable diesel really took off in 21-22, and it was primarily driven by the California market, which has grown tremendously. In 2020, California went, went from about a quarter of biodiesel and renewable diesel in the diesel fuel pool to over 60% in their last quarterly report. And the soybean oil prices have followed suit. Uh, this has supported strong crush margins and instead of incentivized crush capacity expansion announcements in the United States. And it has also separated our soybean oil price from, from the world price. So next slide. So what has this meant for feedstocks? Okay, so the chart on the left shows feedstocks used in 21, 2022, and 2023 year to date for biodiesel and renewable diesel. 
which the year to date has almost already surpassed the 2022 levels, the year to date through September. Um, and so with the rise of renewable diesel going into California, the share of soybean oil has shifted downward because of the availability of other feedstocks that in California incentivizes. So in 2021, we saw soybean oil ha have a share of 47%, and that drifted down to 41% year to date, but the pie is expanding. Um, and on the right, you see uh, feedstock imports. Um, we became a magnet for biofuel feedstocks and vegetable oils. The EPA also approved at the end of uh, 2022, um, canola oil to be used in renewable diesel. So we saw a lot more imports from Canada. And at the same time, we saw more uh, used cooking oil imports from China that may have been diverted from the EU market. So while not all of these imports come in for use in biofuel, they may have other uses, you can just see how the magnitude of those imports, they're about a third of the year to date uh, feedstocks used for biofuel. You can see how that magnitude can have an impact on our feedstock market in the United States as those feedstocks enter the United States. So next slide. So how do you forecast how much soybean oil goes into biofuel? Well, there are a few factors and these are not all inclusive and it's very tricky. So first you have to forecast biofuel production. You have to have uh, some sort of RIN balance sheet and assumptions of how much advanced uh, biofuel will cover the conventional category how much RIN carryover, and then you have to have an assumption for biofuel trade, like how much are we going to export to Canada and to the EU, and then you have to have assumptions about feedstock availability. It's not like corn and ethanol. There's a lot of different feedstocks. We're importing a lot of different feedstocks, so we need to have a, an assumption for what, what's available on the market and where soybean oil will fit in that. In, in that. And then lastly, uh, you need it to forecast soybean oil for biofuel, you need a soybean meal balance sheet. So when you crush a soybean, as you all know, about 80% of it is meal and 20% of it is oil. So it's super important to understand the dynamics around the meal market. And you, when you crush a bean, uh, you don't store the meal for long. So it has to price itself competitively and it has to go somewhere. So with all of that said, in our WASD forecasts, uh, we encompass ideas around these assumptions. and. Clearly, other people can have different assumptions than we do. It's a very tricky market and complex market that we're currently in. So next slide. Since 80% of the bean is meal, I want to talk about more about meal demand. On the U.S. side, pork and poultry growth is not strong. It's relatively flat. And we're also seeing uh, low prices of competing uh, feed ingredients in the United States. On the right-hand side is our export outstanding sales of meal. They are high now, supported by the fact that Argentina has low supplies. And Argentina is the number one meal exporter. They export about 90% of the meal that they produce, and they lost half their crop last year. So it's a big wild card. What's going to happen when Argentina rebounds from last year's drought? What happens to U.S. exports of meal early next year and meal prices given all of the extra supplies coming onto the market? So next slide. So here's the soybean oil balance sheet. I know it's a lot of numbers, uh, but I just want to kind of walk through a few. So standing here today, what have we seen it? Uh, what has it done and where is it going? As you can see in 2223, uh, soybean oil for biofuel expanded greatly and exports and stocks shrank to accommodate this growth. So biofuel, soybean oil for biofuel went from about 10.4 billion pounds to 12 and a half billion pounds. 
while exports went from 1.8 billion pounds to very small, we almost became a net importer um, and stocks shrank to pretty tight levels. So going into the out year, into the 23-24 year, we do expect soybean oil for biofuel to continue to grow. Um, but stocks are pretty tight and exports can't shrink much further. So in order to have that growth, we have to see more crush happening in the United States compared to the, the slight increase that we saw in the prior year. Um, and we expect crush to ex expand 4% in 23-24. And it's based off of both our assumptions on this soybean meal uh, demand as well as the soybean oil demand. Um, so we have soybean crush going up in the United States, uh, 23-24, as well as soybean exports going down. And while there is this kind of demand pull in the United States for the for the soybeans uh, to be crushed, we're, we're facing ex robust competition on the export market with Brazil. Next slide. And I know Dee covered this a little bit, but I wanted to touch upon it quickly. Um, if you look back five years ago in 2018-19, the U.S. and Brazil produced nearly the same size crop. Fast forward today. Brazil grew 40 million tons, while world trade grew by less than half of that. So clearly they have a lot of supplies on hand and they have increased their market share over time. And that may that definitely may continue. And lastly, the last uh, slide. Um, so at, as Brazil's crops get bigger, the stocks in September, so this is kind of like their mid-year stocks or, or March stocks in the United States they'll continue to get larger, potentially competing more with the United States after the U.S. harvest. And currently we're showing stocks increasing about 2 million tons over the prior year, which is pretty large compared to historical stock levels at this time of the year. Next slide. So in summary, uh, biofuel production continues to grow in the United States. It's incentivizing soybean crush expansion and more soybean oil to be used in biofuel. On the soybean meal side, the U.S. is expected to take global market share uh, for soybean meal in the near term. And it is also possible that some importers will switch from importing uh, soybeans to importing more meal. The question remains, what happens when Argentina returns to the market early next year? And we try to reflect that in our forecasts in, in the WASDA report. And on the soybean side, U.S. is facing stiff competition with Brazil, and we may see export share continue to decline, but at the same time, we're seeing kind of this de demand driver at home. So hopefully that answers some of your questions or maybe spurs some more. I'm happy to answer them here, or you can reach out to me via the email below. Back to you, Joe. Okay, great. Um, yeah, so thanks so much. Very interesting. And um, we're gonna be back with you uh, shortly to I think even pursue uh, some more here, very complicated uh, uh, interactions between products and obviously uh, with various products competing differently globally. So that's gonna be uh, a good conversation we're gonna have in a couple of minutes, but first we're gonna get to uh, a presentation from Darren, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Joe. I'll just wait for the slides to boot up. Okay, thanks, Mabel. Um, yeah, so let's let's get into this. So um, uh, thank you to everyone for the invitation today to, to address this really interesting and important panel. 
Uh, the title of this is some observations on world markets and trade. I can't um, I can't um, confess to being a global expert on vegetable oils, but um, certainly my focus is mainly on a day to day basis on the oil seeds complex. So what I intend to do today is just to to give you some uh, a bit of a flavour about um, vegetable oil markets, what's been happening in recent um, in the markets in the past two years or so and then actually look at what's driving things from the demand side. So next slide. So really, yeah, um, borrowing some some data from my colleagues at USDA, as, as we all as we often do. Um, um, so what we can see here is world consumption by products. So showing the main four vegetable oils, palm, soy, rapeseed, canola, sunflower. I mean, it needs very little in in terms of uh, an explanation consumption has grown by about 40 percent in the past decade more than doubling in in 20 years in absolute terms palm and soy have been key um but the growth uh, is quickest and you this won't be evident uh, from the chart has been for sunflower oil and we'll come back to that in a moment and in terms of consumption by segment well food demand is clearly dominant but as uh, joanna has um really really made clear um, from a uh, presentation on the US perspective, industrial demand, particularly for biofuels, has really been a defining story in recent years. And it's not just in the US, it's also in Brazil, it's also in Asia, in Indonesia, where uh, large vol volumes of palm are absorbed by that sector. Um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the past decade, I, I, if my calculations are correct, I think growth in that particular segment uh, uh of the balance sheet has been twice that of food so really really important to to get a grip on what's happening in the biofuel sector next slide please but of course vegetable oils serves both food and industrial sectors okay and so what we're showing you here is what who which countries are the most important ones which countries rely on the world market to to actually meet their needs now uh, the obvious two countries in, in the in the left hand side of this visual are India and China, big Asian importers of vegetable oils, particularly India. Now, India um, is a is a soybean, rapeseed, and partial sunflower seed producer itself, but it, it relies extensively on the world market and the the supplies heading into India and China, uh, Pakistan, Bangladesh, some other. Um, just one moment, got a technical issue. Okay, um, in terms of the, the supplies heading into those Asian countries, also countries in the Middle East, those are serving the food sector, okay? Um, in terms of the imports as a share of consumption, that I really think this graphic on the right-hand side of the visual is really worth looking at. You can see that some countries are almost totally reliant on the world market to serve their needs. Okay, in the case of the US, you can see it's right down the bottom of that chart, but it's right close to the top in terms of the aggregate imports. Imports into the US, as Joanna has said, a lot of this has been serving the, the biofuel sector, particularly uh, canola imports from Canada. So um, moving to the next slide, please. So just um, uh, changing the emphasis slightly, just let's have a look at what's happening in vegetable oil markets over the past two two years or so. Uh, we can see here that um, prices, uh, they spiked higher in the early stages of 2022. Now there's no secret about what the reasons were. 
it was really about the Black Sea conflict, which, which um, you know, commenced uh, sort of the very end of February of that year. And what happened then was we saw the effective shutdown of the Ukrainian market for sunflower oil, Ukraine, and indeed Russia, uh, pretty much dominate that market. They, they, they account for about 80% of world trade flows. Also, the so uh, similar number for uh, sunflower meal. So the market began to panic. Okay, and this spilled over uh, into across the oil seeds complex. It's not just vegetable oils. I think the oil seeds and the high protein meals were high at that time as well. And of course, uh, other factors came into play. Before the 2022-23 season, we had um, very tight situation in Canada. Canada being not only the biggest exporter of canola, but also canola oil. Um, so that was also a factor. We saw some some tightness in the soybean market. So really, we 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 had a cocktail of supportive factors that were pushing up the market. But by by far, it was um, it was um, the uh, the the events in the Black Sea region. And uh, from our perspective, we monitor prices on a daily basis, and we were not getting prices out of Ukraine for a period of about five months, as you can see in this uh, visual. Um, but we know that if we use Argentina as a proxy for uh, a key origin for which we had prices for sunflower oil, prices at that point uh, around um, sort of the middle of the year are about 2000 perhaps $2,400 per tonne. So you can just see what the impact was on the sunflower oil markets. So um, next slide, please. And so just really to develop this point about um, how important Russia and Ukraine are in this market, so we can see uh, sunflower seed consumption, left-hand side of the visual, uh, obviously most of that is processing. And then let's just look at the right-hand side of the visual, and we can see just how important these countries are in terms of sunflower oil trade. It's at least 80% in any given year. Uh, one of the reasons I wanted to show this visual is to, to really underline the fact that the, what was supporting prices were geopolitical events um, in the region around that time, because you can see that, um, you know, there is a general upward trend uh, in both of these visuals. So it wasn't really, uh, you know, a problem on the supply side. The problem was getting the supplies out of the region. So next slide, please. And really to develop this uh, uh, point uh, a little bit further, uh, just leaving policy aside, so all we're doing here is just showing you some monthly export volumes for sunflower oil out of Ukraine. And we can see that, so let me just explain what's going on in this visual. As I say, these are monthly exports out of um, Ukraine. The, the red, I've highlighted red, would be the final month of the local marketing year. So that would be in August of each year. So naturally, we would expect uh, quite a big step down in exports out of Ukraine at that time of the year. Now, let's spin forward to where we see the onset of the complex, uh, the conflict rather, in February of 2022. We see that um, exports fell off quite considerably. And then in the blue bar, we see the start of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. So that was, I would say, instrumental. Well, it was along with uh, shipments to the European Union across Western borders, which, which are substantial, probably about half of uh, all sunflower oil exports. Uh, the Black Sea Grain Initiative enabled those exporters to move supplies 
uh, to destinations farther away. So we'll be talking about um, the Middle East and particularly the Asian markets, which are really important. Um, next slide. And though just really, um, and just to sort of bring everything together, all I'm showing you here is one of the reasons why prices, not just for veg oils, I'm, I've spoken about veg oils here, but really this this um, presentation is um, is looking more at oil seeds as well. Um, we see that supplies um, across all of the major oil seeds, rapeseed, canola, sunflower seeds, soybeans, and palm oil I've included here, uh, borrowing some data for palm oil from my, my colleagues at USDA again, because that's not a, a market that we follow in a great detail. Um, we can see that supplies, net increasing supplies, okay, opening stocks production have been uh, solidly higher across all of these uh, commodities. So this, I, I, the reason I mention this, I'm trying to, to, to give a reason why We've seen so much pressure, upward price pressure taken out of the market over the past two years. And those supplies, as we're also showing here, have been more, more than sufficient to, to deal with rising processing. So next slide, uh, please. Okay, so in this part of the presentation, I want to just um, uh, kind of build uh, on the excellent story that Joanna gave and just uh, talk a bit more about the demand side for, for vegetable oils. And what I'm showing you here is um, is global biodiesel, renewable diesel production, okay, on the left-hand side of the visual. And you can see that this is showing really strong growth over uh, the best part of the last two decades. Uh, the way I like to refer to this chart is if you were um, just to, for the moment, just ignore the data at the bottom, which uh, is for the European Union, that's the bar in blue, then you, you almost see a triangle of growth okay what i mean by that is if you look at the the series for the us for indonesia and brazil that is very clearly driving um global production of renewable diesel by uh, uh re biodiesel renewable diesel production okay and that's been the big story as joanna said in the us but also in the us where there's um an expanding mandate, which is absorbing soybean oil there. Soybean oil is approximately 70% of total feedstock ut utilization in Brazil, based on government data. And in Indonesia, it's exclusively palm oil. Again, I'm just borrowing some data here, but uh, really, you know, the, the chart here really makes that clear. And just on the right hand side, just to re-emphasize that point, about 80% of total production is due to four countries or regions, the EU, the US, Indonesia, and Brazil. Uh, Argentina is also a biodiesel producer. And, uh, I'm sure my colleague Ramiro may, may mention that too, but uh, this really is about those four countries. So next slide, please. Yeah, and really my apologies to jo Joanna here because I've kind of almost replicated one of her visuals, but um, this is such a big story, what's been happening in the US that it, it really does need me to to include this. And we, you know, it, it's already been said that renewable diesel has been, you know, it's really been behind this, this push to absorb increasing quantities of soybean oil in the US. Um, biodiesel is kind of plateauing a little bit. So, so it's really renewable diesel. And this has been boosting US processing to records. So 
you know, in the sense that we, we're expecting U.S. soybean exports to kind of fluctuate in a range that perhaps between 45 and maybe 51 million tonnes in a season from here on. Uh, it, domestic demand is what's driving uh, the situation in the U.S. And from a soybean oil perspective, if you can focus on the, the bottom right-hand quadrant uh, of this visual, you can see what's going on. Industrial use for biofuels has been on a strong upward, uh, has been shown strong growth in, in recent years. And it's almost at parity with food use, which has been kind of flatlining for a number of years. But the real story has been what's been happening to exports. The export market has been squeezed out effectively. And as Joanna said, I mean, we're looking at exports of soybean oil out of the US, I think around 150,000 tonnes. A few years ago, they were, um, uh, I should say a decade ago, about 1 million. So other exporters, other producers have had to take on the baton and um, supply the world market. So one of the most interesting aspects of all of this is what I want to show you in the next slide. Next slide, please. And really, this is what it's all about. If you look at uh, the major origins, um, if you can call the US a major origin at the moment, um, if you go back maybe to 2020 or prior to that even you could see that you know prices at all of those origins were moved in a kind of a narrow range you know occasionally we'd see some differentials and discounts premiums but really you can see that because there has been such demand from the biofuel sector in the us in recent years we've seen the emergence of this huge premium at times uh, only a few months ago uh, in 2023, that premium was equivalent to $700 per ton. So what do we mean by that? We mean that if you're, if you're an importer and you're securing soybean oil out of the US golf basis quotation, then you'd be paying $700 a month, uh, a, a ton more than you would if you went to South America. Now that premium has narrowed, uh, more recently, obviously, because we've, we've had the new US crop uh, and processing is, is expanding. But, um, you know, um, that I think this is probably for us the most interesting aspect of what's been going on in, in the market. So next slide, please. And, you know, if we look at Brazil as well, uh, as, just as a footnote, uh, this is almost a similar chart to the one I showed you in the US, but there are one or two distinct differences that I want to to allude to. First, well, the first similarity, of course, is that we're seeing um, biofuels production on an upward trend very clearly. It, it, it fell in 2022, but it's expected to go higher in 2023. And this is in some small part, uh, not perhaps as impactful as in the US, but this has been contributing to expanded processing uh, in Brazil. But in terms of soybean oil, uh, local demand versus exports, uh, and Dee referred to this, uh, and Joanna too, in terms of the, the, the actual size of the Brazilian crops, they have been so big that they've actually enabled um, Brazil to, to, to support both record domestic demand on the soybean, um, uh, domestic soybean demand, as well as exports of you know, close to or above 100 million tonnes. In terms of soybean oil too, um, as the US has kind of almost moved out of the market for exports of soybean oil, Brazil has actually um, been able to, to fill some of that gap along with Argentina, the big player. 
But really, uh, as with the, the US, you can see the domestic use of soybean oil for biofuels has really been on an upward trend. So next slide, please. And just really, this is my main, um, uh, my, my final slide uh, of any substance. Uh, and what I'm showing you here is bringing all of this together. So just to, just to explain what's going on, on the left-hand side of the visual, we're showing the exports of soybean oil uh, for the three major origins. Uh, we can see that there's been some large swings in exports out of Argentina, but it's still a dominant player with exports typically averaging about 5 million tonnes per year. Sometimes in the past, it's been close to 6 million. Um, the year, uh, Brazil has seen some solid growth in recent years, but of course, we, we, you know, because of the, the needs of the local uh, of local um, end users for, for, for biofuels, we're expecting exports perhaps to, to fall away in 23, 24. And the US, as Joanna has, uh, has neatly put, it is, um, is not really a big player in that market any longer. But in terms of the meal, and this was also touched on previously, let's. this is really interesting because, um, as we know, when you process a bean, you get the, the meal and the oil, uh, as Joanna uh, mentioned. Um, and so, so as there's been this pull from the biofuel sector in Brazil, and particularly in the US, it's boosted availabilities of soy meal. And in a year of 22-23, when uh, Argentina ha had, if I can put it this way, a disastrous season in terms of the soybean crop, which, we, which was cut in half, its processing and its availabilities for export of soy meal uh, actually plunged to the extent that Brazilian exports were more or less at parity at about 21-22 million tonnes how this pans out how this what happens in the future we don't know much will depend on what happens in argentina 23 24 and of also what happens in terms of processing in brazil and of course as Dee mentioned there are question marks over the brazilian crop because conditions have not been what i could describe as ideal today particularly in Mato grosso um, and of course, the US as well. Let's not forget the US, US exports of soy oil, I think, are forecast at a record in 23-24. So it's really an interesting uh, dynamic here whereby you've got more soybean oil uh, flowing into the domestic uh, sectors uh, in the US and Brazil, which is giving rise to more availabilities for the export markets into the soy meal. Uh, and I think the next slide, please, final slide. So really, uh, in the interest of time, I won't go through these um, the, the, the summary here because I think I've said most of it already, and I'll just leave these here for future reference and hand back to you, hand back to you, Joe. Thanks so much. Darren, thanks so much. This was excellent. Um, again, a lot of grist for uh, future or questions in, in the next few minutes, but let me remind everyone in the audience that we will follow the next speaker with uh, 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 an extended conversation. Um, and so we want your questions. If you can put them in whatever platform you're watching this on, uh, submit those questions and we'll try to get uh, answer them. Um, we have a few in already. And, and again, we're looking forward to receiving input from, from you, um, you on that. Uh, Darren, I'm always struck 
this I've heard this second time you've disavowed your knowledge of these markets, but uh, I always come away enlightened. So uh, thanks so uh, much. Joe, I think it's because I'm in such esteemed company. So you're making uh, me you nervous. <laughs> All right. Okay. So let me uh, turn to our last uh, uh, speaker, uh, Ramiro Casas. Please, Ramiro. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Joe, for having me in this webinar. I'm enthusiastic about participating and sharing the panel with my team and, and your colleagues. Uh, we'll just wait for... Uh, go ahead for and turn on your camera, too, Romero. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, that's okay right now. Okay. Waiting for the, the slides. Let me know when to start. Well, let, let's start with... I'm going to talk about Argentina. Thank you very much. As you know, Argentina is the, the world's leading exporter in soybean oil, soy meal, and the third one in, in soybeans. And the Argentinian soy industry is one of the most dynamic economic sectors of the country. The future expansion of, of this industry in the country relies significantly on internal and external policy changes. While external factors do contribute, the industry's evolution is fundamentally contingent uh, on local agricultural policies. Despite the importance of Argentina as one of the world leaders in the soybean market, our ag economy suffers sudden policy changes throughout most of its history. We have a long record of price distorting policies from highly regulated to highly deregulated. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, the new government that took office five days ago announced and formalized agricultural policies that will bring about significant changes in agricultural pro uh, crop productions details of which I will explore further later in, in this presentation. So next slide, please. Thanks. Let us start with exploring the recent evolution of the planted area, marking out three different periods during the last 23 seasons, we identify patterns in the growth rate of this crop. The first one until 2009, a growth phase with an average annual rate of 6%. However, this growth that trend experienced a notable slowdown between 2010 and 2015, increasing at an annual rate of 1.4%. Starting from 2016 season, a significant shift emerged, leading to an annual decrease rate of 1.8. This transformation can be partly attributed to the escalating export duties which directly contributed to the deceleration in the growth of the soybean value chain. The changes, the changes in the agricultural policy resulted in a significant shift in the relative prices dynamics favoring corn and wheat compared to soybeans. Let's go to the next slide, please. So therefore, the, the significant decrease in the predominance of soy within the Argentinian agricultural structure is quite evident. Uh, during the 2010 season, soybeans occupied 77% of the area dedicated to summer crops and 66% of the total planted area in Argentina. However, as you can see in the, gra in the, in the graphs, the 2023 season, these proportions are expected to be between 64 and 55 respectively. The policies implemented in this period affected input-output relationships Therefore, it consequently had an impact on technological adoption. According to the Agricultural Applied Technology Survey of the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange, 
which complete, uh, contemplate both investment in inputs and also incorporation of management practices, farmers decrease the application of high-tech packages and increase mid and low-tech packages. Please, let's move to the next slide. Thanks. Transitioning from the analysis of the planted area to an examination of production, we observed that the average annual growth of soybeans during 2010 and 2023 was around negative 2%. However, this trend deepened in 2015. This demonstrates how from the peak reach in 2015 at 60 million tons, production has fluctuated within the range of 40 to 50 million tons with the primary factor influencing this variation being the weather. An extreme, extreme case occurred in the last season where the significant decline in production was notable, reaching only 21 million tons. So yes, Darren, it was like a disastrous season. It was one of the worst in our history. So let's talk about the new season, the, the 23-24. Although we are still on early stages, in fact, Argentinian farmers are still doing field work with almost 60% of the area planted and heading towards the projected total of 17 million hectares. The production estimate is 50 million tons for this new crop season. This is particularly noteworthy during the Nino year, you know, the weather condition Nino, allowing for a positive, uh, positive yield projections uh, per hectare. This number represents an increase of 7% in planted area compared to the past season. And it's really important when we compare the production increase that it's going to be, if the 50 million tons will achieve, of 140% of increase, reaching a total of 30 million additional tons, making the overall estimate at 50 million tons for this new, new crop season. So let's go to the, the next one. Let's talk about the reaction of Argentine participation in the world market, according to the, 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 this historical analysis that we are doing right now. The stagnation in soybean production in Argentina has had, of course, significant repercussions on its position within the global market for this crop. Historically, Argentina has, you know, consistently ranked as the world's third largest soybean producer, standing behind Brazil and the United States. However, the challenges mentioned uh, have weakened its, our global prominence. As you can see in the, in the, in the chart there, from the picture uh, share of 21% during 2008, it has decreased to 12% in the 2022 season. This setback not only highlights Argentina's internal challenges in terms of its agricultural production, but also indicates a shift in the dynamics of global soybean trade with the greater preponderance of Brazil. In fact, Brazil has seen an increase in its market share going from 28% in 2008 to 36% in 2022 season. Let's move to the next one, please. Thanks. So the impact on the productive performance of soybeans had its correlation in the crushing and exports Traditionally, in Argentina, 80% of the soybean harvest is locally crushed. However, the average annual growth rate is in soybean crushing over the last 10 seasons indicates that Argentina is losing market share. Argentina's market share in global crushing is projected at 12% for the next season, and it is a lower figure than the 19% reached in 2010. 
according to the information with the, of the USDA. Despite this, Argentina has developed a soybean processing industry that has become a fundamental component of its productive structure. This sector is not only significant in international markets due to its capacity to export soybean oil and soybean meal, but it is also important in creating jobs and generating added value within the national economy in our country, of course. Despite Argentina's positions in soybean processing markets, the country's crushing capacity has consistently exceeded soybean production. On average, of the period from 2015 to 2022, the crushing capacity utilization rate has been 70%. So, like the flip side of this outcome is the potential for recovery that the industry holds if there are shifts in the local incentives and agricultural policies. So, let's talk about this, please, in the next slide. Thank you. Having overcome this challenges diagnosis, I would like to highlight some potential good news for Argentinian soybean production. Uh, firstly, the new government could adopt an, an economic approach that promotes free markets. The removal of barriers to international trade will be announced and there will be advocacy for a reduction in fiscal pressure, particularly on the most distorting taxes like the export duties. Just yesterday, the government implemented a significant adjustment in the value of the local currency, the peso, reaching to 800 pesos per dollar. This represents a depreciation of the currency by almost 120%, just one day to the other one, significantly enhancing the competitiveness of the exchange rate and reaching values not seen over two decades. Furthermore, as you can see there, New regulation for export enhance the exchange rate to level of 850 pesos per dollar, making an extra improvement of 26% in comparison to the previous agricultural export promotion program. There is even a possibility of increasing cereal export duties by three points to partially offset the improves uh, that the new exchange rate gives to farmers. So since the soybean export tax will remain at previous levels, this would imply an, uh, an improvement in the rel relative competitiveness of soybeans compared to crops like corn. All of this uh, leads to the consideration that particularly this year, and given the current situation of prices and cost of production, soybeans may experience even greater benefits in the short term having gained competitiveness that we're losing in the past uh, few, few years. Let's move to, to the next one, please. Okay, so we are at uh, like something like a starting line with some big changes uh, coming. The thing is, we don't have the complete picture of we are exactly where we are headed. Uh, everyone is uh, on the same page. New government said it's high time to focus on the private sector. This involves easing the tax burden and addressing rules that fall short in the competitiveness game. But how fast are the authorities going to face these changes or what economic tools will be using? Uh, your guess is as good as mine there. It's a bit of uncertainty at this point. So like here's the deal. Shifts are occurring in the Argentine regulatory landscape and it's crucial to stay updated of these regulatory changes. 
Uh, anyway, I can provide you with estimate of how soybean production may be evolve under reasonable policy changes. As we can see there in the graph, Argentine has high potential for growth in soybean production. If the recently inaugurated government succeeds and in the event of a shift in the export duty framework, soybean production in Argentina could transition from a nearly stagnant level around 50 million tons, the one that we have the past decade, to a growth of, let's say, a little over 30%, reaching approximately to 70 million tons. These estimations are considering the elasticities and production capacities already available in, in our country. So let's move to the next one, please, to discuss the mid-term outlook for Argentinian production. This is for the whole crops, not just soybean. And this slide shows data from the World and Argentine Agribusiness Reference Scenario to 2033, made by the INAI Foundation. It consists of a long-term outlook of the level of international trade, production, consumption, and export for the main agricultural goods. And for those who frequently use studies generated by other countries or international organisms like the USDA chain-year projections for the food and agricultural sector, this model has a similar methodological approach. So let's talk about the results. Under better, better policies, the results of our baseline reveal a context of opportunities for Argentina production and exports. Having said this, and considering that under new economic incentives in Argentina will lead to new investments and infrastructure, and of course a higher use of improved technologies at farm level, we can consider that the baseline scenario could be conservative. So for this reason, we also run a scenario taking this into account. You can see there incentives scenario, where we consider positive, uh, positive shock in logistic cost, uh, and another positive shock in terms of field gap, filling the yield gap at least, not to the potential, but improving the, the current situation. So this could be quite optimistic, but it helps us to imagine a potential output and consequently the challenges that we have here to, to consider which public policies are needed to, to achieve this goal. So finally, uh, final remarks, and, and the next slide, I think that is the one with, thank you, yes. Uh, after all we have seen, I think my, my final message is that Argentinian agricultural, agriculture is important both for the domestic market but also for the international one. Economic matters, we all know that when Argentinian farmers are given positive incentives, they respond by working harder and, and increasing total production using more technology, but the opposite also happens. Our economic history in Argentina is a living laugh about this. The current outlook for Argentina's grains and oilseed is highly influenced by two main factors. The first one, the impact of Argentina's uh, Argentinian potential change in the export duties and the potential stabilization of the economy and the return to a stable macroeconomic environment. So finally, the result uh, of the mid-term scenario that we were just uh, talking about reveal the context of, of opportunities uh, I think that Argentina can improve our competitiveness in terms of logistic and productivity gaps. So maybe we can say I'm, I'm optimistic about the, the future if the conditions change a little bit. So with this show, I conclude my presentation. Thank you so much. And I back to you. Great. 
Thanks so much. Um, okay, so now we are in the Q&A portion. Uh, I'm going to ask all of our speakers to put your cameras on, and I will welcome our moderator, uh, Seth Meyer. But before Seth gets to ask that first question, I want to remind everyone, um, please um, send in your questions. We have about a half hour here for discussion, and we hope to get to, to most of them. So, Seth, go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Joe. And 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 again, uh, a big thank you to all the presenters, which always makes it, they cover the ground so well that it makes it tough. You know, I scratched out half the questions that I had thought mentally ahead of time. And, 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 and one of the things that struck me when we went through these presentations is we talked a lot about supply side uh, expansion or potential. And D, something else that you mentioned early on kind of struck me, which was, you know, China was historically the driver for soybean demand over the last decade, We're talking about 4% demand increases each year. And yet we don't see that or I don't anticipate that going forward. Can you tell us a little bit about your thoughts about both soybean de demand, soybean total, but you've got a sector of maybe tepid meal demand and what does the oil demand side of this look for look look like i guess what i'm setting up a question here is is we've got a a, a oil seed which produces two products and it sounds like there's a lot of demand for one and we're going to be looking for homes for the other which is the meal what do you think d thank you that's for the question so yes indeed as we all know that China is still the world number one soybean importer. They imported more than 60% of the global uh, traded soybeans. But since I think 1819, right? I think since 1819 or 1920, that uh, the that uh, like 9-10% uh, year-on-year increase stopped. That due to some also some other problems, we have like uh, the trade barriers, some of also the, the African swine fever. And also in recent years, we've been facing this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And due to all these reasons, we've seen that the Chinese soybean import, imports, they have been stagnating and uh, sometimes even uh, declining a little bit. And uh, as you, yes, your question is whether this will continue or we still see the Chinese imports to increase. So it's uh, really a difficult call because for the time being, I think at least for the past three, four year seasons, we've seen that the, the demand of the Chinese has been stagnating due to various reasons that I mentioned. But this is not only due to the, 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 the problems that I mentioned, but also even the for the both meal and the oil side for the meal side you know the the meal mostly goes to the the pork industry as well as the poultry and the, the feed industry and those on those side it really depends on the profit margins for those uh, livestock sectors and for the time being we do not see that uh, the livestock sector they are going well they're doing well so basically for the time being we do not see that uh, they are going to to uh, resume this nine ten percent year year increase and on the oil side uh, basically oil they serve as um, the food in china because for the bio uh, diesel sector in china is not still very limited it's not as uh, big as in the us or brazil or in the eu 
So that side really depends on the economic performance and that which also uh, relates to the uh, per capita food consumption. And uh, but during the past few years, most likely amid the, um, the COVID-19 pandemic, the consumption on the food side also declined a little bit. But that I think with the economic uh, gradually recurring already during the, the, the past season, that we do forecast the, the on the food side, the, the oil side is more or less recurring from the past uh, season. But uh, in the long term, I think it really depends on the economic uh, growth of the country as well as the, the livestock industry, on the, so which is the two of the products of the soybean crossings. Well, thanks, Dee. I think that Amos will benefit from you having a colleague that looks at the uh, global vegetable vegetable oil complex. I think that 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 Amos will benefit from that greatly. Darren, I saw your mic come on. I presume you got a question. You want to add in? No, jump in. I just wanted to. Uh, you can hear me good. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to add uh, to what Dee said. Really, I think. Um, yeah, totally. That. Um, I think there's so much it's so much more unpredictable so difficult to forecast china's imports i mean we're coming off a year when imports into china expanded by 20 percent year on year based on our data which records the shipments from the major origins and a big story i wanted to bring the supply side in a big story was brazil because that crop was so huge and so competitive competitively priced even now we're seeing um prices out of um, brazil paranagua actually below or slightly below us gulf new crop supplies which is very unusual for this time of the year and so china was a big buyer last year um but of course I, 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 other things i wanted to mention on the soybean trade side if you don't mind um of course and Romero can uh, probably tell a better story than me on this is just the how important argentina was in the last year in terms of buying what 10 million tons of soybeans um, for, from Paraguay, but also from Brazil, uh, perhaps um, a little bit from the US. I have to check on that one. Um, so when you're coming to look at 23, 24, it makes everything um, a lot more uncertain. I think our view is that trade, probably global trade, won't match um, the 22, 23 number. And I think D echoes that from what I saw from his presentation. And a couple of things. I don't think China can be expected to, to do another year of 105 110 million tons of imports next year argentina on the back of a better crop won't be turning to to the market for eight to ten million tons and of course there are question marks about the brazilian crop if it's poor um by brazilian standards um then you know the prices may not be as competitive so yeah i just wanted to add that really to echo what d said Scott, yeah. if you don't mind, let me, let me come in with a. a yeah. Oh, Ramiro, did you want to say something? Just to add the, the the number of the import from Argentina this year after this, this this tremendous season that we had with the drought, in 2023 imports reached to 9.3 million tons uh, until October, of course. Uh, that means that and that came those tons came from five million tons from Paraguay and four from brazil so we expected that we are expecting that next year with our if, if everything goes well with the weather we return to the previous numbers of imports let's say something like four million tons 4.5 5 million but not again numbers like almost 10 million tons uh, a big increase 
one, almost 100% from one year to the other one. Just that, Joe, thank you. Yeah, no, no, thanks. Uh, it's, it, it's great. I, um, I, I don't want to uh, so much switch uh, topics, but we've had a few questions come in, and they've come in from various parts of the world um, uh, about soybean production, because as we've talked, the soybean production really has been dominated, I mean, for years, dominated by the U.S. I mean, if you were to go back 20, 30 years, where the U.S. was the largest exporter and the uh, a huge market share, and then then this big surge uh, over the last 25, 30 years with, with Brazil, Argentina, now Paraguay, other countries. What about Africa? What about uh, South Asia as being potential uh, uh, producers of soybeans. What what do you see there in terms of trends? Uh, and any one of you are feel free to to answer the question. I can start off. Yeah, in terms of India, I think um, it's just it's really a question of yields. I think the yield for soybean production in India is about one ton per hectare compared to a global average of what 2.8 2.9 with brazil in the us closer to 3.5 so you can't really expect any substantial gains um in south asia particularly in india bangladesh and pakistan the other big players in in the soybean market particularly from an importer side um although we've seen some fall in the last year they're relying on the world market for everything so limited potential there for expanded production um, and of course, in terms of a similar story for you to look at rapeseed in South Asia as well. So um, as, I, as I outlined in my presentation, the government um, is confident to rely on the world market for vegetable oil imports and is able to secure on average 10 to 15 million tonnes every year. So, yeah, I think I think it's just a question of yields and let my colleagues say say more on this. Yes. Can I jump in for this? Sure, uh, please, Dee. Yes, thank you, Darren, for, for the comments on India. So I would like to add something about Africa, because I saw there are some questions regarding the, the, the production in Africa. So basically, I think besides the, the climatic conditions in Africa, some of the countries, they may not, uh, such as also the same as India, they are not really as favorable as those um, uh, other regions. But there are, I think there are also some other uh, limitations in those countries. So first of all, for some, a lot of the countries, they do have uh, limited, uh, uh, how do you say, limited uh, uh, inputs, let's say, not in terms of only in terms of uh, seeds, but also in terms of fertilizers, energy. And uh, those are all barriers that could uh, put some limitations on those uh, smallholder uh, producers in Africa. In addition, I think some of the, the, the producers, they could also uh, suffered from limited uh, financial resources, not in terms of credit, uh, you know, they, they do not have uh, like as much as financial resources to, to run their business. And also some of the limitations may come from the infrastructure uh, side in terms of uh, transportation, storage, those could all pose some limited um, uh, constraints on the production. But the good side is in, in terms of South Africa, as some of you might know that uh, during the past years, the production in South Africa, they actually increased 
from just uh, above 1 million tons to now around uh, 2 or nearly 3 million tons. And they, they do have some potential, but uh, in terms of magnitude, they are far away from, of course, Brazil or, or, or uh, uh, United States. But um, yes, I think, yes, those are some limitations. And uh, of course, there are some potentials, but we still need, they still need some support in terms of policy and in terms of inputs. Thank you. Great, Seth. Turn it back to you. Well, and 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 um, I'm a, Joanna. I I guess I'm going to pick on you a bit because I think the U.S. is maybe maybe the the closest example that I can think of of this is again when I think about everybody's presentation, we we seem to have you know you you've got two components of the oil seed, and we seem to have at least in the U.S. switched to really put oil back in the driver's seat in the United States. And that's worked, and we've talked about growing crush margins. So tell me what you think crush margins look like going forward. We saw a lot of crush on paper. Are you expecting that much of that crush to come online? What are we gonna do with our meal? We've been fortunate in this last year that Argentina didn't have a crop because they're our big competitor, but Brazil's coming on as well too. What does the global meal market look like for meal? And, and so I guess in a broader question, maybe as other uh, participants think about this, are we splitting here? Should we should we be discussing more of the difference between meal demand and oil demand at a global level? And are we are we sh creating a disconnect? Hey, Seth, uh, that was like a hundred questions <laughs> uh, all at once. Typical, typical Seth style. <laughs> I know you can handle it. I know you can. <laughs> um, so yeah, crush margins have been very good in the United States, uh, supported by oil. Oil share of the crush value has been high. It's supported crush capacity announcements, uh, renewable diesel capacity announcements. And some of that crush capacity has already come online. And some of this crush capacity coming online in this early part of this marketing year are expansions. So we do expect that they will come online. It's not new facilities. Um, and, and they've already come online and, and we had record crush in October. And so going, going forward, and like I tried to highlight in, in my presentation, yeah, we could see strong crush margins over the next several months, but what happens when Argentina comes back into the market providing all of these supplies uh to to the market it's it's pretty unclear at this point what the policies and how they will incentivize how much how much meal goes out but it doesn't seem at this point like it's um prohibiting uh meal going out of of argentina um it's just well right now they have tight supplies so uh that that certainly provides opportunity for the united states to to export more in in the short term but as Argentina comes online, uh, we may see more uh, pressure on meal prices to price the meal into the export market um, in order to get some of these crush, continue to crushing at the pace that we need to fulfill this soybean oil demand. Let me let me ask a question. Um, you know, we've talked, we've been largely talking about soybean oil. I know uh, we have. Uh, Darren brought in uh, rapeseed oil and or canola oil and and uh, sunflower oil, but let me turn to the other one, the 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 giant in the room for the, in the vegetable oil market, and that's palm. And uh, in particular, what 
what should we expect about El Nino uh, impact on Malaysia and Indonesia? And in particular, is that a timing issue? Is that something that could potentially hit next year uh, rather than this year? Um, you know, Indonesia was a big factor last year in that price run up uh, in 2022 that we saw, particularly their, their I mean, it's, it's a country that does divert a lot of its palm oil production to biodiesel. Uh, we had export restrictions on for roughly three weeks, which had very dramatic impacts on on prices at the time. Uh, so uh, I guess what I'm I'm interested in is whether you or anyone else has much feel for uh, Indonesia palm oil production uh, and what that looks like and what that how if, if that is something to be concerned about. I, I can jump this one off. Yeah, we don't have a 24, 25 uh, uh, forecast out yet. But yeah, there are lags in palm production. And we're just kind of now, like, you know, 11, 12 months and 24 months down the road. So it's it is, you know, it could be a concern. Of course, right now, we're just seeing the weather, seeing the actual rainfall that happens. Um, and we have models that kind of see how much of an impact it has been when there's been, you know, dryness uh, in certain months and its impact later on, on palm oil pr production uh, in, in Malaysia in particular. Um, so it definitely, it definitely could have an impact on both production in general and markets and vegetable oil prices all around. Okay, that's, that's great. So something to monitor. And I think yeah. just to, just to, oh, sorry, Dee, do you want to come in first? No, 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 go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and just to emphasize um, just how important it is from the perspective of the other vegetable oils, and uh, in particularly from a logistical point of view, that the the availability supplies out of the Black Sea region can get to can get to the world market because a lot of a lot of the big Asian imports rely on sunflower oil, particularly India markets in the Middle East that would also rely on palm oil. So if, if there's a supply difficulty on the palm oil side, let's just hope, and it would be sunflower oil, not, not rapeseed canola oil, sunflower oil, and to some extent, soybean oil that the market would look to. Um, with Darren, my non expertise on palm oil. Yeah. Sorry, Darren. Uh, yeah. Can I ask a follow-up on, on this? And, and that is on sunflower production, because we did see yeah. a decline in, in sunflower oil production in Ukraine last year, uh, presumably because some of those were in port facilities and things like that. And we, and with more export of the seed itself, um, is that likely to, re to remain the case for, you know, for in, the foreseeable in, future? In terms of the composition of the, the sunflower exports products versus the seed, uh, we're already seeing evidence of a huge decline in sunflower seed exports out of Ukraine. Okay. I think in the first three months of the local marketing year that began in September, uh, exports were down by 90% out of Ukraine. So they've almost collapsed. Okay. okay. So temporary. But, see, but, but also, I think some of that, don't forget, was the, the supplies moving across the border into the EU and there's been restrictions because the countries there were saying it was damaging the local, the, the, you know, the local sectors. Um, and, but, the sunflower oil and the meal, which is not restricted, the exports have continued to be robust in the first three months of the year out of Ukraine. And what we've also noticed is that um, 
based on some of the work that's been done by private analysts, the the logistics, the the temporary humanitarian corridor has been we've seen exports of grains and oil seeds across the board ramp up significantly in the last in the recent weeks and the last couple of months. So that is doing in some way uh, the job that the Black Sea Grain Initiative did in allowing those supplies to move to markets in Asia away from the European Union. So anyway, I think I've said enough there. <laughs> no, thanks so much. Seth? Yeah, I, I, I guess I would, oh, I guess I would follow up just a really quick question. Maybe we can have uh, uh, Ramiro interject a little bit really as to how he sees farmers um, I, I give us a little bit more about how he thinks about differential taxation or other factors that may influence the meal oil mix, or if he thinks that that's not on the table here. I know you talked, Ramiro, a lot about farmers' willingness to respond in overall production. Do you think this has much of an influence on product trade? Yeah, said so, you know the for this year it's like the the farmers already have taken the, the decision of planting, so it's not going to move. Uh, area, but they are willing to, to receive good news from the export duties perspective. So they, they are waiting to have a, like a reduction, mostly in terms of the, for the soybean, benefiting soybeans. Uh, but it looks, it's, it's, it's unclear these days. They are just have five days at, at office and, you know, rumors are all over there and you receive some kind of information, then you receive the opposite one. And it seems like it's it's not that uh, for sure what, you are, what they are going to do. I, to be honest, I didn't hear anything about moving the differentials in terms of the the tax for the soybean oil or soybean meal, for instance. Or what we have heard, or what we have heard here is that if they increase export tax in order to offset the, 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 the new exchange rate that we mentioned before, it's going to be to increase to 15% this tax for all over the economy. But for crops that they already are paying 12%, like corn, like wheat, it's going to be an increase of only three points because they are already paying 12, they are going to 15, they have to increase in three points. For the case of soybean that is paying 33% and it's clearly above this 15%, it's going to be there, it's not going to change. So in relative terms, it's going to be like a, a relative improvement for soybean farmers uh, because they are going to be better than the ones that they are willing to produce corn, let's say. So I'm sorry I don't have a better answer for you and for, um, for the people here hearing but I think that we have to follow this very closely because news are already there and we, we, we have to, to, to follow it closely, just, just that. Okay, um, we, we're, we're almost out of time. Uh, Joanna, I want to, Joanna, I would like to come back to you on, on biodiesel growth in general. And I, and I know this is a very complicated picture. I did look at the 10-year uh, baseline numbers that just came out, at least in terms of the, the U.S. Soybean, uh, soybean oil exports and soybean and crush numbers and biodiesel use. And they, they actually slow a lot. And, and so having 
watched a lot of baselines and oversaw a lot of baselines when I was at USDA. Um, I know we we chronically underestimated China import demand for years. You know, always in our our baselines, all they it was growing far faster than a, a lot of analysts were thinking. Is it is is the thing holding back? Uh, presumably, biodiesel production continues. The question is what the feedstock is. Is that the issue? And and because of the fact that the meal itself also has to find a home that that soybeans may not be the attractive option relative to cooking oil. Is that part of the question uh, issue here as we look out over the next five, 10 years? Yeah. So one thing I want to point out with our baseline, it is policy in place. So basically it takes what we know in policy 23 through 25 mandates and it just extends the 25 out. So since the policy is not growing, we don't assume that biofuel is going to be growing. Um, and so that, and that's last year when we did the baseline, we only had 2022 levels. So that's why our baselines comparatively have actually moved up because then we took into account the new RVO levels that were uh, published by EPA. Yeah, I mean, it is, a, in terms of your question, in the near term, in the next three years, like where does soybean oil fit into it? We try to, you know, take into account the availability of competing feedstocks on the world market, which is a difficult thing to assess. Uh, I think on the canola oil side, uh, there, there's, you know, some sort of limit because Canada can only produce so much. We started importing from Canada, like we typically had imported in 2021, like 50 to 60% of Canada's canola oil. Now that shot up to like 90%. So that kind of has a, you know, a ceiling of how much that can, that can grow and export to us, depending on their crush and their availability. But the availability of other feedstocks, uh, like used cooking and oil and tallow, I mean, we've seen it's come in higher than expected into the United States. And I think that, you know, prices have really incentivized the imports of those. So the availability of that, both domestically and on the international market, I think will kind of come to see in fruition as the biodiesel continues to expand. Um, and then, as we mentioned on the soybean meal side, it, it also dictates the availability of how much soybean oil you have available. I mean, you crush the bean and you crush it for money for both the meal and oil side. So if meal has to price itself competitively and crush margins come down, so we'll we'll, we'll see the intricate, intricate dynamics of that, particularly as Argentina comes back into the market early next year. Great. Yeah. Okay. Any other further comments to any any of this? So I, I'm going to wrap it up. I, I know Seth uh, is already, I think, en route to a, a, a briefing he has to give. Um, I just want to really thank all of our panelists. This was very, very interesting in a very complicated um, market in one sense, uh, given the fact that we have these uh, various products and competing with various uh, uh, suppliers and uh, very different demands uh, across the world. Um, any event. Thanks so much to Dee, Joanna, um, uh, and, and uh, Darren and, and Ramiro. Um, we'll be calling on you often, I think, over the next few years as we further, uh, as Amos gets further along on this. We hope to have a vegetable oil analyst on board very, very soon within the next month or two, uh, uh, hopefully. Um, and uh, uh, this is going to be an area that we're very much interested in. Thanks so much uh, to the, in, IFRI production team has put the webinar together. 
And uh, with that, let me sign off.